Hello and welcome to the Aggressive Balance Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Morton. Today's conversation is about awareness in many forms, how awareness informs a multimedia storyteller, how to develop awareness as a leader of the many personalities that exist in the team, and how to be equally aware of where your business is, where it's been, and where it's going, no matter where you are in the life cycle. On this podcast, I interview a spectrum of entrepreneurs and influential leaders. My goal is to help you use these ideas to become a more confident decision maker. In my role as founder of Morton Brown Family Wealth, I see the transformative impact on financial lives when people become confident leaders. I invite you to listen to a wide range of guests to learn how they engage with and succeed in the world around them. My guest in this episode is Ashley Russo, a journalist turned entrepreneur and third generation business leader. Ashley embodies what it means to create a balance for yourself personally and professionally. In our conversation, she shares the tools and approaches she uses to build loyalty and trust. Ashley is president of ASR Media Productions. She's a three-time Emmy Award-winning executive producer and host of The Peak TV and St. Luke's Health Now. A 20-year media veteran, Ashley graduated from New York University's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. She's also the creator and host of a weekly podcast, Unscripted with Russo. Ashley's also the Chief Operating Officer at General Magnaplate Corporation, the world's leading manufacturer of engineered coding solutions. Ashley's the third generation to step into an executive role at the company founded by her grandparents, Charles and Sylvia, in 1952. At General Magnaplate, Ashley's years of management experience are being capitalized on to improve efficiency and communication. She's deeply committed to her community as Ashley serves on the boards of the United Way of the Greater Lehigh Valley, the Wildlands Conservancy, and the Greater Lehigh Valley Chamber of Commerce, as well as Hospital Central Services. She is also an active committee member supporting the NCC Foundation, Equilibrium, the American Heart Association, and Women United, to name just a few. She regularly donates her time and talent as an MC and auctioneer for numerous events across the region. Recipient of several leadership awards, Ashley was most recently honored with Girl Scouts of Eastern Pennsylvania's Take the Lead Award, recognized as United Way of the Greater Lehigh Valley's Community Builder, and received the Betsy Torrance Philanthropist of the Year Award from Women United. Ashley began her career as a producer on NBC's Today Show, Bloomberg, and The Weather Channel. Her entrepreneurial spirit soon kicked in and she became a writer, independent producer, and media consultant for numerous national publications and experts, including Cook's Illustrated, Prevention Magazine, and Women's Day. A lifetime horse lover, Russo is a multi-time American saddlebred world and national title equestrian. She resides in Bethlehem with her husband of 20 years, Joe, and her two children, Nolan and Renna. Ashley, welcome, and uh, congratulations on ASR Media's fifth Emmy recently announced. That's great news. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Dennis, for having me. I appreciate that. And uh, really exciting. I have to tell you, something like an Emmy never grows old. (laughs) It's always exciting every single time, pins and needles. And truly, we get excited about nominations because there's a lot of content out there and it's competitive just to get nominated. And we spend a lot of time as a team thinking about what projects um, we love. And we actually ask everyone on the team to, to submit their top and we see where there's crossover and um, there's a lot of discussion around it. It's, it's a little bit arbitrary. You are judged by your peers, but we try to put what we are passionate about and what we felt really good about that we produced during the year and roll the dice and go from there. So thank you. Sure. So your first Emmy came in 2013. So how has that task of creating compelling content changed over the last eight years? 
you know, really the core of storytelling has remained the same. Honestly, um, what we've seen is the distribution model has changed. But I think the core of what makes a great story and what makes a compelling video content is really the same. And that's the origination of ASR Media. I mean, my background is in journalism and as a storyteller. And I love people. Um, People have probably heard me say this, but my mother always said this was a great career for a chatty, nosy kid who asked a lot of questions. So I finally channeled the back of the station wagon into something positive. (laughs) Right. I hear the same thing where it's like, I found a job where I can pontificate. And they're like, wow, that you're really... That's something you've been doing since you were seven. So (laughs) that's so funny. Yeah. So the the essence of the storytelling is still the same. I think what we've really learned over the years is that everyone has a story, and even people who maybe don't think that they do, there's something in there that's unique, right? Each of our journeys is special and unique, and I love figuring out what the takeaway is from that, what can be learned from that, Um, and then I'm so grateful that people are willing to share. Sometimes really tough stuff, you know, stuff they've gone through and 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 come out the other side. Um, having learned something, a different person. And I, I really love to get at that. And I think my team does also. What we figured out is with the advent of social media and the growth clearly from 2013 to 2021, right. that has exploded and changed. The landscape has changed so dramatically. And so really now it's about talking to people about how they plan to utilize the content. So we try to not only tell the story, but partner with our clients to say, where are you going to put this? Mm-hmm. Will it be a newsletter? Will it be on Instagram? Will it be on LinkedIn? How often? How many pieces do you want to cut it into? So sometimes you'll see a video with five or six people in it that's, that runs a little on the longer side, longer now being under three minutes. <laughs> yeah. that's, a long, that's a long video these days. But we can usually take each of those people and give you a 30-second clip or 45-second clip from each individual. We can often then take and, and pair those back into 15-second promos or previews for things. So there's a lot of different ways to edit the material together depending on its use and the way you plan to put it out there and what the goal is with the footage. But it all starts with the same thing. You know, it starts with that same curiosity and interest in someone's journey and someone's story. You're such a good storyteller, but is there a part of the media business that does not spark joy where you say, man, I'm glad there's somebody else that likes doing that because it's a grind for me? Is there is there a part of where it's like... Well, yeah, I don't, I don't do it anymore. I mean, I, <laughs> the good news is that that was the beauty of ASR Media. I was It was this opportunity to not only create something right in my backyard that allowed me to still be a stay-at-home mom part-time, mm-hmm. and that was the very beginning. My kids were only 8 and 10 when ASR started, and I had been a stay-at-home mom, and it was important to me to be able to go on the field trips and the class parties, and, and I just knew that going back into traditional journalism where there was breaking news and a lot of quite frankly, negative things that go on in the world. I think there's a place for it. I think we need to tell those stories as well. Just not something I wanted to jump back into. I had the good fortune of doing some of that early in my career, and I'm so incredibly grateful for that experience. It teaches you a ton. The level of resourcefulness that you need to have uh, kind of moving quickly on your feet in a, in a live breaking news situation is, is something I don't know you can compare to too many situations. But I didn't want to do that again. I didn't want to be standing outside in, in a snowstorm or, or in the middle of chasing down jurors from a, a big case or something like that. So ASR is really kind of all the stuff I love in one place. I would say, though, in in the way our business is run today, what I've figured out is to play to my strengths. We use a business coach. We spend a lot of time figuring out 
what everyone's skill set is. And we've really honed in on playing to people's strengths. I think one of the challenges the first four or five years of the business was like anyone who starts a business, anyone, if you're listening, if you've started a business of any kind, this will apply to you. You have to, you know, do all the jobs, right? You have to wear all the hats mm -hmm. and learn just enough about everything to do your, your purchasing and your payroll and your accounts receivable and your invoicing and proposals and that that's a lot of detail work. So I would say for me, I've been really fortunate to surround myself with many team members who are phenomenal at crossing T's and dotting I's. Mm -hmm. Not my greatest strength. I can force myself to do it, but I live in the sweet spot of the ideas, the strategy, the bigger picture, the broad strokes. Okay. And so I'm really, really grateful for my team that fills in those blind spots for me. You brought up an interesting topic there, business coach. How did you decide that you needed one? What role does the, the coach play for you and your team? It's really evolved over time. I mean, I have to say, originally it was sort of let's do a one-day retreat and get to know mm -hmm. ourselves a little bit better and um, do those assessments that people might take. People have heard of Myers-Briggs or DISC or anything of the like to get at the heart of what are our strengths and what makes us tick as a team. I felt over time that that became more and more important as we grew, getting clarity around our mission and vision really was important in attracting and retaining the right team members. That piece is so important to me. And I'm not an expert in that. Um, I, I have a really strong intuition and I, I'm someone who relies a lot on gut feeling and it served me pretty well. That being said, there is some science to it. I think that there's some science to, to motivators and personality types. And we we just have found that that individual coaching and then that team coaching has been helpful. So I've been through a series of coaching. Um, my vice president of production, Katie Santana, she's done the six-month intensive coaching program. Our team as a whole did six months of module coaching where you learn one thing each week. So one week might be time management. I love that. As a, for instance, one week might be on strengths. And then we would do a little homework and get back together. And we actually spread it out over time and did it every other week as a lunch and learn all winter over COVID. So it was kind of a good use of time. And and we just continue to learn. And then we, we've brought our coach in for our team building. We had a, a recent in-person, finally, face-to-face -face team building day, which we missed so much. And we spent the first three hours of the day doing some really fun activities, talking about our mission and vision and growth and where everybody's at. So if you haven't ever considered it, I really recommend it. I'd start with some books. I mean, if you're a manager, a leader, a business owner of any kind, there's just some great content out there, whether it's I'm a big fan of Jim Collins, mm -hmm. Brene Brown. There's just a lot of great content, whether it's podcasts or books that you can listen to. I have pretty good time management skills, but I just don't waste time. I'm really efficient. So often I, when I'm putting on my makeup and drying my hair, which I almost like resent as a time that I have to waste during the day to get ready <laughs> and like pull it together, yeah. I will often listen to an audiobook and I will listen to clips in my AirPods so I'm not burning that 20 minutes. No. Um, I do the same thing when I cook and when I fold laundry. So it's just a way to fill your mind with positivity when you're doing something maybe you don't love doing so much. I absolutely agree. And good luck turning that off once you get the you know, the bug for, you know, it's a podcast or an audio book, you know, the, the kid's like, what are we listening to again today, dad? Listen, this is on stoic philosophy. Just hang in there. It's going to be good. <laughs> it's so funny you mentioned that because one of, another book that I really love is called Atomic Habits. Oh, yes. I'm blanking on the author's yeah. name. 
anyway, it'll, it'll come to me at some point in this, in this conversation. But one of the things I love is I would put the books on in the car sometimes. And I was driving my daughter back and forth in the fall before she got her license and little snippets of the book would come on and I'd get the eye roll and, but we'd listen and believe it or not, she ended up writing a really meaningful essay on the habits that she's formed that have helped her become a more efficient student. And of course, I had great pride and I had to like giggle and say, there had to be a part that she was listening to that book. <laughs> Parental osmosis. It is, yeah, it's a, re- it's it's a real just, thing. Even if it was just a snippet, I felt like she had to have been listening in some capacity. So, All right. So I got to go back to the, the personality assessment. DISC. Yeah. Have you done DISC assessments? Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. So just for benefit of everyone, we're talking about Myers-Briggs, DISC. We're big DISC proponents. Like from yeah, and Katie, Katie Brown and I have worked with a coach, if not from day one, maybe from day 30 to now. And he, for the first thing he did was give us a DISC assessment. And the D, the, it's D-I-S-C. So the D stands for dominance. The I stands for influence, the S stands for steadiness, and the C stands for conscientiousness. So where are you, what are you a high in your DISC assessment? You want to guess? All right. Most entrepreneurs, startups, high D? I'm actually equally a high D, high I. Whoa. Which my brother, who's a CEO, has told me is a really fabulous combination for leadership. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, I'm surrounded by lots of S's and a little bit of C. I'm married to someone who has a lot of C. And we're super complimentary with which what we handle within our family and our household. So we kind of figured that out naturally, I think. But yeah, so I have the high dominance, but also the high, you know, influence, interpersonal people skills. Um, So I'm certainly an extrovert. And it's been such a fabulous experience learning to understand and appreciate the strengths and weaknesses of each category. Because often I think one of the things that happens is the world tends to really school, sports, early career, really rewards that extroverted personality, that dominant, that influential personality, right? There, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of easy to do. But reality is we need all of those pieces for really anything, any organization to be highly successful. Mm-hmm. And so I've been a big proponent of really understanding and learning more about what makes the SC people tick. And they often need more time. They're really good listeners. They're really good processors. They understand the space in between and the detail. So I'm the one who comes in like flying in hot with a crazy idea. And I'm, I have people that say, okay, awesome. We hear you. We want to, we want to get on board with you, but let's slow the freight train down for a minute and and think it through. So um, I love that. The other thing I think that's really important to marry with, and I'm not, I don't have this in front of me and I'm not an expert, but one of the things we also have assessed are your motivators. Looking at your motivators is really key because ultimately, so I'm told around 25 or 26, your motivators sort of are locked in. So we actually had everyone redo their assessments, including their motivators post COVID. Oh, wow. Great idea. To see how had that possibly shifted what they were motivated by. But as a boss, I think it's really important because not everyone's motivated the same way. Right. Yeah. We've done much the same. So we actually had, my partner had our annual offsite, just leadership 
team getting together. And we always start with the disc assessment. We bring our coach in. We've done that with every one of our new hires. We give them a disc assessment. We share ours, which when you read the readout from the disc assessment, it's brutal sometimes. I'm a high D, low I. So I'm the introvert sitting in the back office, raining down ideas via email. So like that's how I do it. And uh, you read my disc profile and it sounds like a till of the hun. But it, but it's it, it, but eventually you kind of get around to okay what's my complementary so Katie Brown is a very high I she's she's the complementary social side of it and then the, the S and the C we we had to hire for those yeah our first hire was a high C so it, it's a very it's an awareness thing do you have like the little one page I call it the cheat sheet. Yes. So it gives you a quick glance. And I, when we first did this, in fact, now that we're talking about it, I think I'm going to do it again since everyone's retaken them. I walked around with a printout, an old school printout in my bag for about a year. And every time I'd have a meeting or an interaction, I would glance at that and say, okay, how does Katie like to be communicated to? Yeah. How does Katie give her best you know, put her best foot forward, et cetera. And, and it really helped me adjust and learn and grow. And I'll say subsequently, if you have teenagers, get this done, do it with them. It has made me such a more aware parent. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, it's really interesting. My, my daughter's number one and two motivators are my number 11 and 12. Whoa. So so we are literally yin and yang. And so- understanding that so harmonious is number 12 for me and which is not just people being harmonious but your environment being harmonious that's number one for my daughter so the way her room is situated the decor around her the organization of her closets the the beauty she's the person who notices the sunrise and the sunset every day which has been amazing because she's pointed that out to me and has literally asked me to stop and smell the roses so hmm. um, it's a gift but only if you're open to understanding, how it can complement where you maybe lack something. All right. This jumps ahead to something I was going to ask you about the creative process, about your environment Mm. for creativity. What does a number 12 harmonious look like for for a creative? Is it go-go? Or what what is kind of that, that harmony being that far down? How does that show up? I'm big into process. So for me, it's idea first, process second, then execution, then probably the look of it. Mm. So I think one of the things we've spent a lot of time at ASR developing our processes and knowing that when a particular type of video story client idea comes about, immediately figuring out what's the process that needs to wrap around that to make sure it's successful. And now again, this is always the lens you're looking through, but I think for me, one of the areas of concern in production in general is that when you have a lot of very creative people driving things, sometimes there's not a lot of process. And sometimes it's just, let's, let's throw all the paint at the wall and see what happens. You don't want to be so extreme that everything has to be sketched out Mm -hmm. and perfect because you need to leave space for creativity in the moment. But at the same time, I think that it's really helpful to have processes so that the people who are producers and working on the pre-production and setting things up have a roadmap Mm -hmm. within reason. The people filming that day have a roadmap and expectation. What types of shots do we want to include? What's the style and look of this video based on what the client wants Mm -hmm. and likes and what we think will work best for them? And then 
the last piece of that is post-production and editing. And that's where a lot of the magic happens, but they are using the ingredients you gave them ahead of time. And so we, we do quite a bit in the pre-production or process phase in order to have filming and editing go really well and allow for that room of creativity of the people on the team mm-hmm. who that's their strength. And it's amazing how often that is left out of this world of video production, not different than what you do, right? So you, I assume, say to people, what are your retirement goals, right? What does life look like for you? Mm-hmm. When is when is that happening? How much money do you need to spend? What, what does that look like, right? And you're going to back into that. You're going to make a plan for them based on that vision. We do something similar. We say, what's the goal of the video? What do you want the end product to look like, to sound like, to feel like? And then we back into it with that. And then we wrap processes around it, which is sort of where I feel like I've infused my strengths. And then it goes smoothly. And then it is sort of enjoyable. It doesn't feel frantic. It doesn't feel like there are a lot of loose ends, um, which is really nice. You know, it, and it's funny, the parallels there. And I always tell people, I'm in finance, but I'm also the son of an art teacher. So there's a there's a right-left brain dynamic that I always think is fascinating. And, mm. and in my role, oftentimes, it's taking the chaos of the world, the chaos of the marketplace, whatever it might be, and backing it into a process that helps you to understand it and, and navigate it. You can't control that. And same thing with the creative process too. I mean, if you let it spin out of control, it will. But if you back it in and say, All right, here's what we're trying to get and align the process, I think that's an underappreciated element. I think so too. And it really does allow there to be room to enjoy the process. I mean, that's yeah. important to me. You know, we we really love what we do. I mean, I love what I do and I've attracted a team that loves what they do. And I think playing to people's strengths, but then giving them room to be creative, I think it helps clients also to feel like we are giving them some options to be creative and infuse the product with what they want it to, but also not just leaving them out there in the middle of the ocean to figure it out. That's where you see a lot of panic and that's where you see a lot of indecision. And I think that the coaching um, has helped that because it allows us the ability to, within the first or second conversation, kind of assess what are the strengths and maybe the blind spots of the person we're working with. Mm -hmm. And therefore we can sort of help tailor maybe what we fill in and go a little more here and a little less here because Mm -hmm. of the skill of the person we're working with. And that changes for every job and every client. So, so a lot of this, the leadership element is, is very interesting for an entrepreneur who's working in a creative field. How different is what you're doing now in leading a media company from what you thought you'd be doing coming out of journalism school? When I went to journalism school, I got a lot of, why aren't you going to be a news anchor? Mm -hmm. And there were two answers to that. The first is I got a taste of what producing was. And I loved kind of feeling like the mastermind behind the storytelling. There's a line from my big fat Greek wedding. That's one of my favorites, both personally and professionally, which probably says a lot, but I'll share it anyway. And it's when the father yells at the daughter at some point and says, you'll listen to me because I'm the head of the household. And he walks away and slams the door. And the daughter looks at the mother, very verklempt and and teary-eyed. And the mother looks at her and takes her by the shoulders. And she says, he may be the head of the household, but I'm the neck. (laughs) I love that. So I have to say the producer is often that person. And that's what I loved about producing. I loved doing the research learning something about a story, learning something about a person, figuring out all the elements that would bring that to life. And that could be an in-depth human profile down to a cooking segment. I mean, there's a lot that goes into some of the most 
sort of fun television. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of pre-production. And that's what journalism really taught me was the value of that setup and the thinking ahead of time. And I think ASR media to me is just a culmination of all the things I really love. I, I, I love building a business. I love building teams. I love working with individuals and men- mentoring and seeing them grow. One of the things that's brought me some of the greatest joy in my life has been to have some employees who have moved on and gone on to do great things. But I felt like even a very small part of that because I was aware they, you know, we worked on it together. I knew where they wanted to go. And, and it was, it's just exciting to me to see them launch and do something that brings them passion and joy. We've had an awesome business born out of ASR Media. Our director of marketing, Tina Hasselbush, launched our brand, our business, our TV shows, me, and, and more and more clients kept asking for marketing. And it was kind of like Tina and I looked at each other. And I said, like, this is, this could be it. This could be your moment. And she now has uh, social team marketing and PR and five awesome women who work for her. And we still work with them and utilize their, their services. It's just, it's awesome. And then to see this month, we have two weddings and a baby at ASR Media happening. So maybe I sound like a crazy mama work bear, but whether they're renting an apartment, they're buying a home, their significant others are staying mm-hmm. in the Lehigh Valley and taking jobs. The multiplier effect of ha- running and starting and growing a successful business, even for our region, to me is is incredibly satisfying. And so it's really exciting to think about the tentacles we've grown um, in influencing the economy and influencing our area and having all of them are, are leaders in their own right, giving back to our community. So all that stuff I love. And then we get to do cool storytelling and and be creative. And it's a joy. It really is a joy, I have to say. That's a great way, I think, for an entrepreneur to, because def- it's hard to define end state, right? Especially when, when you have a long runway ahead of you. Like, where does this all end up? And there's a term in, uh, in sports, uh, coaching tree. Okay. If you go back to Bill Walsh for the San Francisco 49ers in the 80s, won multiple Super Bowls, but his legacy wasn't so much, it's, it's his own greatness, but the number of coaches from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, everybody from Andy Reid and all these guys who were assistant coaches, who went on to become head coaches in their own right and win Super Bowls, that was his legacy, is that all these people who served on his staff went on to be great for other teams. And that was the, that was the capstone of his career. It's truly the best thing. And then people who stick with you to see them grow and say, hey, I'd love to learn this new skill. Or, hey, if you're willing to teach me, I want to try X. I mean that. I mean, I just, I absolutely love it. And it's a part of growing this business that I did not see coming and I didn't realize. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a great way to kind of pay it forward. It's a great way to see a reflection of your own dreams and your own skill set, but also to learn so much as you watch others grow. There's a lot of literal things that I've took from my early journalism days, but the the growth of a business is something I don't know that I I necessarily set out to do, but I try to lead with with purpose because I think it matters. I think leadership really matters. People need to understand the influence that you can and should have if you're in any kind of leadership role. And that can be anywhere. That can be at your school. That can be at your church. That can be within your family. That can be within your business. Don't underestimate what you are giving and your ability to give with your talents and your ability. I think people often think, well, it's when someone has 
has won a big award or they've written a book or they have a show. And that's just not true. The opportunity to lead within your own life right at this very moment exists for all of us. And I think tapping into that will bring you joy. It's like it's like when you volunteer, right? Mm -hmm. You get more than you give. That's always true with leadership also. Right. And then there is that that hollowness of you, you get to that you know, the goal or whatever it is. And then, and now what? And I think that's another thing that athletes and creatives have, you know, you get to this place where I've I've achieved, I've reached the pinnacle of my career. What's next? Yeah. I think you have to always say businesses are living, breathing organisms. Mm -hmm. They have to evolve and grow. So while you, it's important to have vision and goals, I don't think you ever want to say this, this goal is the end of the road. I think you want to be open to what opportunities will come along throughout that because when you start to close off that you're just singularly focused and you want to be very careful and and a lot of this will play into what your disc profile is, right? right? So if you're someone who really loves to check the box and cross off the list, that's awesome and thank you. However, be careful that you didn't put tunnel vision in on that and don't allow yourself to get too easily overwhelmed with possibilities or saying yes or what's mm. next. On the flip side, if you're somebody who says yes and you're usually probably a high I or you're dry, a high D, and you're driving forward, be careful that you don't move the train so fast that you've got people like hanging off the back <laughs> with the wind blowing and you know, they can't, you know, that's not good either. So <laughs> I love, I love the, you don't have the benefit of the visual here, but it's, there were literally people hanging off the train. I, I use the Beverly Hillbillies analogy, but there's just stuff flying off the truck as you're going down the road. And yeah. it's, yeah. My most recent podcast binge has been uh, Greg McEwen, who wrote Essentialism. I'm going to write it down. Essentialism and effortless. My wife and I have been really going deep on this one because it is that tendency uh, to say yes and just the accumulation of of clutter in all its forms and how to get back to those those few things that we do well and, and conceptualize it. So I want to also talk about your other role. So General Magnaplate, family business, your third generation executive leadership there. I am. What have you learned about your leadership at General Magnaplate that's different from ASR Media? Boy, I'm not sure. Let me think about the different part, but I will say this. I don't think that I would have been equipped to take on my role at General Magnaplate if I had not started and grown ASR Media from the ground up. Mm -hmm. I was very, very close to my grandfather, Charles Cavino, who started the company in 1952, coincidentally the year my mom was born. So both the business and my mom turned 70 next year, planning for a big celebration. And I'm the oldest grandchild. I was very close to him. I was fortunate to have him in my life into my 30s and learned a lot from him. And I think that the, the skills that you learn in particular as an entrepreneur starting something from scratch, I don't know that they can be mimicked in any other situation. And so it's given me the ability to really understand my grandfather's sort of original intent mm. and what he went through to get the business where it it is today. Um, of course, ushered for 25 years by my mom and my stepdad who just did an amazing job of transferring from first to second generation. As I'm sure many people know, the statistics around a business surviving third generation are really, really low. It's a super high failure rate. I'm I'm hyper aware of that. And I, I want to bring to it, I think, a sense of curiosity, teachability, uh, and humbleness. I'm, I'm not known to be super humble, but that being said, I try to 
really be a servant leader at Magnaplate. I think that it's a complicated business that requires a lot of really smart people with really specific skill sets and really specific trades. And being a good listener, really understanding the value that each of those people in their roles brings to the table has been something I've had to learn. It's been different than ASR because I'm not an actual shooter or editor, but I know exactly what the shot should look like. Mm. I know how to achieve that. And I know exactly what I'd like the edit to look like. So I have enough knowledge of all the pieces that I understand that I'm coming into a field where I think my knowledge of team building and management and leadership has been valuable in this shift. In fact, we call my parents 2.0 and me 3.0. It's been a funny way to, you know, not personalize any discussions, but also respect what was in their generation and now what the changes are. Acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's been kind of cool. And I think that that's the thing I've learned that's been required of me that I don't have to use it ASR as much. Although I, I do ask them a ton of questions and I'm always trying to learn the technical stuff and, and be paying attention, but really paying attention at a whole nother level around the science of the business, mm -hmm. the finances of the business, and having respect for that. You've mentioned some sources that you've leaned on in your, maybe in your role at ASR, maybe more generalized, but in taking on this role, did it change the type of sources that you sought out? Did you, did you read different things? Did you think, I, I need to develop this skill set yeah. differently than I did with ASR? What, what are some things that you leaned upon? Absolutely. I mean, early on, I really relied on Jim Collins mm -hmm. and just like a good to great is to me is like the manual, right? It's, you know, it's used for MBA programs across the country and it put a lot of framework around how do you build a thriving business? And one of the things that's challenging is when you start your own thing, you have an opportunity to set it up exactly how you'd like to set it up yep. and you can make changes and decisions pretty easily. And it's, we're a small business, right? ASR is 10 people and that's including me. So you're agile and you have a lot of the power slash responsibility to hear what needs to be done and then implement it and get it done and can do it quickly. General Magnaplate is a much bigger animal. You know, we're, we're close to 90 employees and we've had a lot of systems in place that worked, but were not necessarily efficient, had become rather antiquated in the, you know, the world we live in. But that presents challenges because it, to me, now it's still a tiny company, Dennis, in relation to, you know, big fortune 500 companies. But that being said, everything's relative. It felt really big. And to me, it was like, I'm driving a motorboat at ASR, right? I can make like a sharp right. turn and like, <laughs> again, everyone's hanging on to the back, all right? Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden I was like the captain of the Titanic and not that it's sinking in any way. My parents left the company in very good stead. So I don't want to make that comparison. That was the challenge is how do you take a bigger business mm -hmm. and create the agility needed for a business to grow and thrive and change mm -hmm. like a living organism that it is. And that's another thing over time when businesses are around for a long time, I think we do get set in our ways. Like we've got a thing and it works. Right. So we just go with it. And then someone new comes in, not just necessarily me, but anyone new and says, well, why, why do you do it that way? And nobody really knows. It's just what, what has worked. And I think the, the shift it, to new processes and maybe more efficient ways of doing things and working in the environment that 2021 affords us that maybe 1991 did not um, is really important. And that's, that's a hard, 
hard shift to make. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll, it'll be around for another 70 years and my kids will, will be sitting around talking about the old 3.0 down old in Palm 3. Beach. <laughs> that's what the grandkids will call you the old old 3.0 that's good no it's and it's true because coming back to your analogy from my big fat greek wedding is that you know there's the neck one of the issues with the head sometimes is mindset there's a very entrenched mindset that can develop in any business and you have to think about what culture means what what it and i think one of the real blessings from the pandemic is in some instances we don't have the luxury of pretending like things are the same. It was the catalyst to say something's changed. Something's changed in a lot of different aspects. Maybe now is the time to lean this way, pivot, whatever it might be. When you're um, someone like me who who is a quick decision maker, decisive person, love I love finding the newest or most efficient way to do something. I love efficiencies mm-hmm. of time. So for me the positive of COVID was it forced everyone to have to think that way. Even the people who really hated it or didn't want to listen, that great? <laughs> they kind of all had to. <laughs> so that part I, I liked and, and I'm, I'm pushing now to be honest in a lot of ways to not allow certain things to slide back. I think we're right on the edge right now where I'm hoping we see some of the changes that were positive and they stay. I'm going to give you one really silly example, but I feel like it's one a lot of people can relate to. So let's take Disney World, for example. If you've been to Disney World, you know that throughout the parks, there are little food places, like little Mm -hmm. restaurants. They're not the kind you sit at, right? You'd get in this long, long line and you'd wait, place your order, and then you'd wait to pick it up, you know, just like you do at any other fast food type place. Well, with COVID, they put it all on the Disney app and you just go on wherever you, whatever park you're in and you order what you want and then you walk in and pick up your food. Now, that to me is so much more efficient. Why would you ever change it? That should have nothing to do with COVID. It should have to do with the fact that we've created an efficiency that I now no longer have to take 40 minutes out of my day sitting on a food line because I could have ordered it while walking around or waiting on a ride line. So I love that example because I think there have been many efficiencies that have been created that I hope we stick with. It's funny you mention that because one of my challenges, I'm a, I'm a high D as well. I'm raining down ideas, all, all those other things. Sometimes it's about not starting something. It's what am I stopping doing? Like stop doing that. That's that's the real challenge is, is maybe my idea is to stop something. And I think also in 2021, it's not so much the pace of change, it's the pace of adoption. Like the ability to do that has been there for years and years and years, but people weren't adopting it. Disney wasn't adopting it, but now it's the reason why. And, and that's, that's a really positive thing. I agree. So tell me, through all of this, through multiple businesses, it might seem to an outsider like you're constantly taking off one hat, putting on another. But I get the sense there's a common thread to what you're doing in various roles. Is there a unifying principle or vision to the work that you do? Is there just kind of a, a core thread we say this permeates everything? I do think that there is a common thread, and I will say that I do put a lot of hats on and off throughout the day, but I do that with great purpose and planning. So I have to say, give a shout out, first of all, to my personal assistant, who's also our project manager, Krista Gunderman. She keeps me in line. I hired her two and a half years ago. Definitely don't know what I did before. Definitely cannot live without her. I also want to give props here to my husband and my kids who are really good at kind of moving through all of this with me. Sure. And, and keep me grounded and keep me having fun and doing stuff that we love as a family as well. But I, so I do wear a lot of different hats with purpose and on purpose. But for me, the true driver are the people. Mm-hmm. 
I feel a tremendous sense of importance and responsibility around the people who work for me and work with me every day. And that has only heightened with General Magnaplate. Um, we have a lot of tremendous employees who have been with the company for a very long time and their families depend on that livelihood. And that means a lot to me. And it means a lot to me to see people succeed and understand their personal goals and figure out how we can help them achieve those within the job that they do. And I really, I love that. I'm very motivated by the joy and happiness of the people around me, from my family to my friends, to my coworkers. That's the common thread in my life. I'm just truly a people person and it's it's created the values by which I live my life. Ashley, I'm going to close with this. You, you, you've uh, brought up movie references. We're going to go down the slippery slope here. Do you have a favorite movie, a favorite director? When you go for entertainment, who's your go-to? Who's your trusted source? Well, I'm, I'm a girl of the 80s, so I'm just going to tell you it's no secret. I love Dirty Dancing. I love everything about it. It's my favorite movie. Okay. I can watch it a million times. I got to see it on the big screen recently at Arts Quest during COVID. We rented out a theater with a bunch of my friends and picked Dirty Dancing, and I hadn't seen it since I was 11 in the theater. So that is absolutely my favorite movie without question. Grease is probably a close second. Okay. But I love the John Hughes films. I love the Pretty in Pinks and the Sixteen Candles and the all that that era um, I really love. I don't do anything scary. So I can tell you right now, that's a no-go for me. No scary anything. Um, even thrillers, not a big fan. But I do, I love Modern Love, the, the series. Mm-hmm. I, I like things that are about human, not surprisingly, that are about human connection and the people and, and just a great story about someone's life. I think that's the great thing about the 80s films. And my kids are just getting to an age now where they would appreciate Breakfast Club or they appreciate Pretty in Pink and all those. And you just, going back and watching them, you realize just how raw those emotions were. It comes through in the music, in the acting. And it was just a very, I don't know, like high-pitched time. It stood the test of time, too. Those movies have really stood the test of time. The only thing I'll tell you with your kids is sometimes we remember them with like rose-colored glasses. So just be careful and go back. There were a few... (laughs) There are a few things that slid by in the 80s. I, yeah, no you know, you kind of, as a parent, I thought Goonies would be like the greatest idea for my kids. And they say the SH word, like something like 22 times in the first five minutes of the film. And I'm sitting there with like my five and seven year old. And I'm like, yes. this is a terrible parenting moment. I was, I was going to bring that up. Goonies was one that definitely jumped. That's the reason why my kids haven't watched the other ones yet, because we were <laughs> scarred by the, like Goonies is the greatest movie ever. Oh no. We should have watched yeah. the, the cable edit version. So <laughs> excellent. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a, just a fascinating leadership conversation. Thanks for all you're doing in our community and, and, and wearing those many hats and wearing them well. So we really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. And I just want to give a shout out to two of my faves, which is St. Luke's, who has really been supportive of me from day one and our show, The Peak TV, and also United Way of the Greater Lehigh Valley, which has my heart and my soul, the work that they're doing in our community and my ability to, to support that and be a small part of it is, is incredibly meaningful. So I just want to give those two the plug and, and thank you for having me. Thank you. Great work. Great work with all your philanthropic involvement and community service. Morton Brown Family Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. More information is available at our website, www.mortonbrownfw.com.